The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Good morning, Park Church. Good seeing you. Hope you are doing well. <clears throat> want to welcome you, those of you who are worshiping with us here in the building, those of you who are worshiping with us online. We're so glad to have you. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm one of the pastors here at, at the church. And today we're going to be finishing up. Uh, our three-part series that we've been calling Pastoral Words for the New Year. I hope it's been as encouraging for you as it has been for me. Um, man, it's just been great. Gary and Joel have done a great job so far. Uh, and in just a moment, I'm going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask a question, all right? So get your place there in 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to ask a question for us to think about before we get into the message. So... Here's the question, I'm gonna, and I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself, all right? So like, we're in church, you're supposed to be honest, right? So be honest with yourself today. Here's the question, and I'll ask it two different ways. What is it that drives you in your life? What is it that drives you in your life? Let me put it another way. What is it that determines how you live your life? Now be honest with yourself. Ask yourself that question. Right now, if you're honest with how you're living your life, What is it that's driving you? What is it that's determining how you live your life today? See, the truth of the human condition is that we all are driven by something. Every single one of us as human beings are driven by something. For some of us, it's success. For others of us, it's approval or money, promotion, accomplishment. Some of us are driven by shame. Others of us are driven by our hopes, our desires, responsibilities, fear, pride. Whatever it is, there is something that is the energizing force in your life. And the question is, what is that? What is it right now for you? And in a moment, I'm going to pray for us that we would hear what God would have to say to us today. But but before we do that, I want to allow just some space, some moment of silence between you and God, and I'm going to ask all of us to ask God, 
God, what is it that's driving me? What is it that's energizing my life? What is it that, de- that is determining how I live right now? And, and we're talking about a God who loves to answer those kind of prayers. So ask him, allow the space and ask him if it's not right now, but sometime during this message that God would reveal what that is for you. All right, so a moment of silence with God and then, then I'll pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this place, this place that we can come and gather as your people and sing praises to you and glorify you, to pray together, to hear you speak to us. And now God, in this moment, I would ask that you would speak, that as your word is read and as we discuss it, Spirit, would you take your word, what you want us to hear, and drive it deep into our hearts, deep into our minds. And we would ask that you would transform us. God, that we would be different people as we leave this building today because of what you do in us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll we'll come back to that question in just a little bit. But for now, have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter five. And in this passage, the apostle Paul lays out for us why the church and why we as individual Christians are still in the world. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked the question and wondered, why doesn't God just take us to heaven when we become Christians? It would save us a lot of pain, right? Uh, it would save us a lot of a heartache. And, and if God loves us so much and wants to be with us so much, as the Bible clearly says he does, Why doesn't he just take us home? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21 answers that question. And we're going to see three things today from this passage. Uh, We're going to discover first God's goal for the church. And this is kind of why we are still here. So God's goal for the church, the reason for that goal, and then the motivation to accomplish the goal. Okay, so God's goal for the church, reason for the goal, and then the mission to accomplish or the motivation to accomplish the goal. First, let's look at God's goal for the church. And we'll see that in verses 18 to 20. So if you would look over at verse 18. It says, all this is from God. And the all this that Paul's referring to there goes back to the few verses before where where it's explaining what happens when someone comes to faith in Christ, that, that they become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible calls this, you experience that new birth, you're made new. Paul is saying all that is from God. It wasn't because you earned it, it wasn't because you were super religious and had it all together. No, all of that is a gift from God. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and and here's the goal, don't miss it, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here it is again, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then verse 20. So therefore, here it is, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So pretty clear, right? So based on those verses, why does God leave us on earth and not take us to heaven immediately after we become Christians? According to this passage, it's so that we could be his ambassadors. God's given us a message of reconciliation. God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to be his ambassadors in the world. You see, salvation or eternal life is not simply a ticket to heaven. I don't know how many of you grew up in the kind of Christian tradition that maybe didn't say it overtly, but it was kind of like you become a Christian and then you sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. Or you wait till you die and then you go to heaven. And that's what salvation is, or that's what the Christian life is. And that's not at all what it is. It's so much more than just a ticket to heaven. It's so much more than that. It's entrance into a new kingdom with Jesus as the true king. It's being given an assignment from God to be his ambassadors in his world, to proclaim the good news of God's love and grace in Jesus to everyone we have the opportunity to share that message with. Look again at verse, the last part of verse 19 and then into verse 20. He says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. So therefore, we have a message. So therefore, that means we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So, so what is it? What does it mean to be an ambassador, right? Well, according to dictionary.com, and you know that's got to be right. It's on the internet. It has to be true. It means this. An ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign or state to another as its resident representative. All right, that's a big, long one, but here's a shorter way to understand it. And an ambassador is an authorized messenger or representative. An authorized messenger or representative. That is, by the way, exactly who the Apostle Paul says we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are messengers and we've been authorized by Jesus to share the message. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. We've been authorized, all authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. Go and make disciples. He's authorized you to be his ambassador. This is massive for us. Because if we actually understand and believe that we are ambassadors, it will absolutely transform how we live in the world, how we live in this city. We are ambassadors. We are not tourists. Huge difference, by the way, between ambassadors and tourists. Tourists go to a place to consume, to, to get, to take, right? That's what tours do. Nothing wrong with being a tourist unless you're supposed to be an ambassador, right? 
And honestly, this is many people's view of, of Denver, isn't it? We're, we're tourists here for a little while. How many people are moving here with the mindset to give and serve and love the city? In comparison to that, how, how many people are moving here to consume, to get, and to take? I, I don't know if you saw this article, but a few months ago, U.S. News and World Report came out with an article titled The 150 Best Places to Live in the United States. So 150 Best Places to Live in the United States. And I'm just going to give you the top five, okay? So here were the top five best places to live in the United States. Number one was Boulder, okay? All right. Some of you laughing about that, but all right. I've been there. I think it's pretty nice. I mean, it's nice. Uh, number one is Boulder. Number two, Denver. Number three, Austin, Texas. Any Texans in the room? Last service was like, whoop, whoop. Okay, all right. Austin, Texas. Every word time you say te the Texans just love that, all right? So three, Austin, Texas. Four, Colorado Springs, where I was born. Number five, Fort Collins. Four out of the top five. Best places to live, according to, to this article, in the United States are right here, right around us, this city. And uh, this article goes on to describe Denver and its residents this way. So this is talking about you. So here you go. Founded in the mid-1800s as a mining hub during the gold rush, Denver has come a long way since the Wild West days. Over time, its residents have evolved from gunslinging gamblers, that's good news, <laughs> that's awesome, into an easygoing crowd of ambitious, progressive-minded fitness fanatics and nature lovers who are eager to push the envelope on everything from civil rights to drug laws, nicknamed the Mile High City for its 5,280-foot elevation although officially reported as 5,279, all right? So we're missing it, one foot. Denver's location at the base of the Rocky Mountains provides a gateway to a slew of outdoor pursuits, although it is probably best known for its devout ski and snowboard enthusiasts. And then the article went on to say, referring to the growth of the city. Over the last few years, Denver has experienced a population boom, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. And we would all agree with that. We see building going on everywhere, construction everywhere. So, so here's the deal. People are coming to Denver for jobs, recreation, culture, education, beauty, particular type of lifestyle. And listen, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are all good gifts from God to be enjoyed, right? Nothing wrong with enjoying those things. However, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are called to live for more than that. We're not called to be tourists. Tourists take and consume, and we are called to, to serve, to love, to share the message of reconciliation with those who have not yet entered into a life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're called to enjoy those gifts, but not worship those gifts, because we're ambassadors, not tourists. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, just a great German theologian, described 
the purpose of the church in the world this way, and I'd encourage you maybe to write this down. The church is the church only when it exists for others. It's powerful. The church is the church only when it exists for others. And he goes on to say, not dominating. We're not here to dominate and rule over, but helping and serving. It, the church, must tell people of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. See, God's goal for the church is that we would be his ambassadors in this place, that we would approach the city not from the perspective of merely what we can get, but rather from the perspective of what we can give, leveraging every opportunity to share the good news of God's saving love in Jesus Christ, leveraging every opportunity. That's the goal of the church in the world. And in alignment with that goal, there is a huge announcement coming up next Sunday, January 24th. All right, now don't freak out. Like this is a good thing, okay? It's exciting news coming up next Sunday. So please tune in next week. Uh, if you're able to be here in the building, be here. If you're worshiping online, be online. Stay connected through all the normal means of communication. Next Sunday, massive announcement that lines up with our purpose as ambassadors. See that the elders and the pastoral staff believe that God has opened up an incredible opportunity for Park Church to lean into our calling as ambassadors of Christ in new and incredibly exciting ways in the very near, very near future. So make sure to stay connected for that announcement next Sunday, all right? So it's, it's gonna be good. I wanna tell you right now, but I can't. All right, next. <laughs> Let's look at the reason for the goal, all right? We saw the goal of the church, the purpose of the church is ambassadors, right? What's the reason? Why does God call his church to share the message of recon reconciliation with the world? Why do we need to be ambassadors in God's world? Here's why. Because all who are not in Christ are separated from God because of their sins. That's why. This is why it matters that we're not just tourists that we realize our calling as, as if God were speaking through us, Paul says. Look back at verses 17 to 21. A lot of it's just implied, right? So, so this, there's a lot of implied truth here. So verse 17, so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which would imply there are people who are not in Christ. Do you remember what it's like for you to not be in Christ? Therefore, if anyone is not in Christ, he is a, he is a new creation. The old is gone, as the old is gone, the, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, which means at some point we were separated from God. We were alienated from God. The Bible says we were enemies of God. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins at some point before Christ. And that means it's true, there are still people who are in that situation in our city, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. 
And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The fact that there is the need for a ministry of reconciliation means that there are people who are still alienated from God, separated from God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. There was something wrong with the world. There was nothing wrong with God. The world was sinful. The world was broken. The world was lost before Christ. Not counting their trespasses against them. This is the grace of God, that if you are in Christ, your sins are no longer on you. Amen? They were placed on Christ at the cross, but there are still people who are still under their sin, still bearing the weight of their sin, not counting trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Imagine that we have the great privilege of God speaking through us as we share the gospel with people. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the message. We are going into the world, we're going into the city through all the opportunities that God gives us and and asking for people, calling people to be reconciled to God. Again, implying that there are plenty of people who are not Reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, Jesus, to be sin for us at the cross, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. My sin was exchanged to Christ for his righteousness. I now am covered My identity is the righteousness of Christ. And that happened through the transfer at the cross where my sin went to Jesus at the cross. But here's the reality, what the scripture's telling us is there are still people who have not yet experienced that. They've not yet believed the message of the gospel or maybe not even heard it yet. So that's why we're here. We're ambassadors. So here's the question. Do we really believe this? Do we believe that because of our sin, we're separated from God and that only through Jesus can we find forgiveness of our sin, reconciliation with God and eternal life in the presence of God and his people? Do we really believe that? If we really do believe that, then wouldn't we want to share that good news? We all have to ask ourselves that. If like we really believe this and we know that we're called to be ambassadors, then wouldn't we want to share that? Wouldn't we want to share this good news of acceptance and forgiveness and God's love that is not dependent on our performance? Find that kind of love in the world that's not dependent on how great you are or what you do for somebody. It's not dependent on that or how religious we are, but rather on the righteousness of Jesus who lived the perfect life of obedience for us who for our sake took our sins on himself at the cross so we wouldn't have to suffer the punishment for our sins. If we really believe that, wouldn't we want to share that good news with as many people as God would give us opportunity to? And then that leads us to the final point for the day. What's the motivation to do this? What, what, What is the motivation to fulfill God's goal for the church? What's the motivation to be Christ's ambassadors in the world? What is it that is strong enough 
to cause me to, to no longer live for my own comfort, my own goals, my own advancement? What is a powerful enough motivator to cause me to be willing to live as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, willing to share the message of reconciliation and, and the rejection and shame that might come with that, with the people that God brings in my life, rather than living like a tourist who is only looking to get, to take, and consume. What is powerful enough motivation to not live that way? It's actually gonna be a two-part motivation. Uh, the first part you'll see up in verse 11, if you wanna look there, and that is the fear of the Lord. I mean, like Paul just straight out says it. It's the fear of the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be terrified of God as his children, all right? There's plenty of scripture that reminds us that now that we're in Christ, we do not need to be terrified of God, right? Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been declared righteous through faith, we have, what's the next word? Peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to be terrified of him. We're at peace with him if we're in Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? No means no. No condemnation. I even looked it up in the Greek. I know it means no. No condemnation. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It just simply means if you still are terrified of God, you still are thinking in some way that if you step over the line or mess up or aren't perfect enough or religious enough, that, that God's gonna like squash you or something. It means God's love is not yet fully mature in you and you need to grow in his love. Because in Christ, in Christ, there is no fear. You don't need to be terrified of God. So what does it mean then the fear of God compels us, right? That word fear there, it's the idea of awe, profound respect, and leads to like a reverent obedience. So I am in such awe and reverence of God, I want to obey him. So Paul is saying that he's given his life to persuading others of the good news of the gospel, being an ambassador of Christ, because he has that kind of awe and reverence of God. So the question is, well, where did that awe and reverence come from? Well, it could have been when he was Saul, right? And he's on a donkey, riding a donkey on his way uh, to persecute a bunch of Christians. And the resurrected Jesus shows up, kicks him off his donkey and says, no more, you're mine. I don't know about you, but that probably would be enough. 
right? But I think there's more going on. There's more going on. And that, and that leads us to the next motivator that we find in verses 14 and 15, and that is this, the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that is gonna give us the energy, the drive, the fuel to live lives as ambassadors and not tourists, to give and not be consumed with getting. It's the love of Jesus that fuels and energizes that passion to see people come to faith in Jesus. That's where it comes from. If you've ever been around anybody who's passionate about people coming to faith in Christ, those are probably the exact same people who you would say, of all the people I've met who are followers of Jesus, they love Jesus the most. The love of Christ and really fully understanding that and, and being embraced in the love of Christ always leads to a desire to see other people experience that love. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. That word control is, is incredible. It means compels or it drives us. The sense of the word is this, to, to urge or force a person to action. Once you are embraced by the love of Christ and you fully understand the love of Christ for you. You are compelled, you are forced to a particular type of action. It also has this idea of being constrained or, or motivated. So in one sense, we are motivated and energized by Christ's love for us. That's what energizes us, motivates us. And in another way, we are constrained by Christ's love. We, we are shaped by it, we are controlled by it meaning Christ's love is the primary shaping influence in our life. It's Christ's love that will cause me to not live for myself, but rather for Jesus and being his ambassador. Look at verse 15. And he died for all that those who live, those who now are alive in Christ, are made new creations in Christ, that those who live in Christ no longer live for themselves no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When you are gripped by the love of God in Christ, it radically reorients how you view the world and your role in the world. And if that's true, why do we so often find our motivation in life in other places, right? Why aren't we motivated by the love of Christ more often? See, Paul's life was marked by a passion for Jesus and the gospel. I don't think any of us could deny that. He was so impacted by the love of Jesus that he went through unbelievable hardships. Read the New Testament. And eventually was killed because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. Why aren't we motivated the same way? By his love, by Christ's love. Maybe it's because we're self-righteous, right? Maybe it's because we're saying, Chris, man, that's good. I'm glad you're saying that because there's somebody in this room who needs to hear that today. I mean, I don't need it. I'm good. I mean, look at me. I'm pretty religious. I got it together. I'm pretty moral, doing well at work. I got a lot of friends. I'm good, but I'm thankful you're saying that for that person over there on that side, I'm not pointing at anybody individually, but I'm just saying, like, 
that's self-righteousness. So you're not blown away by the love of God because you're like, of course God loves me. Look at me. Look at how great I am. Maybe it's because we have idols in our life that have more of our heart than Jesus does. Maybe we, we love our family or our work or our pleasures or our hobbies actually more than we do Jesus. Or maybe it's because our hearts and our minds aren't saturated with the scriptures that continually explain to us God's love for us in Christ. Maybe we're more enthralled with Netflix and YouTube than we are God's word. Maybe that's what's going on. See, the only motivation that will last for the long haul, the only motivation that will cause a person to give their life to the calling of being an ambassador of Jesus in the world is the overwhelming, eternity-changing, soul-satisfying, absolutely undeserved love of Christ. That's it. It's the only thing that'll do it. The Apostle John in, in 1 John 4.10 says it like this. In this is love. If you want to know what love is, you don't you need to go to Netflix and watch a romantic movie. Let me tell you where love is, right? Look in the Bible. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Hear that today, Park Church. You are not loved by God because you loved him. The scripture says we were absolutely unlovely, undeserving. We were not pursuing him. We were at enmity with him. But this is what real love looks like. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. How much? That he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation is a churchy Bible theological word that means this, the sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns his wrath into favor towards us. Jesus was the sacrifice for you and for me. God loved us so much, not, again, not because we were lovely, that he took the initiative to come to us, do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's love. That's grace. Now let that love wash over you. Soak in that love and know the acceptance of God in Christ, not just so that you can feel loved and when we sing songs about God in here, get warm, fuzzy feelings. God's love is not to terminate with you. You are not the end all be all of God's love. Neither am I. It's to motivate us. Let that love be the fuel for the mission. Not legalism, oh, I have to. Love. This mission of sharing the message of reconciliation with those God brings into your life, in your neighborhood, your apartment complex, at work, school, where you play, let God's love be the motivation, and God will, listen, God will do the work through you. When you speak, it says God is speaking. That's what Paul said. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We'll take away a little homework for you. Would you take some time today and write down the names of the people who do not yet know Christ who are in your life? Your neighbors, maybe, co-workers, people you go to school with, family members who don't yet know Christ, write those names down. It is not an accident that God has brought them into your life. God has strategically placed you in their life to be an ambassador of Jesus. 
Who are they? Make a list, include them in your prayer time, ask for God to allow you the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with them. Pray, listen, pray for boldness, pray for compassion when the opportunities arise. So I wanna go back to that question we started with. We're gonna end with this. Here's the question. What is it that drives your life? What is it that determines how you live your life? Is it, like Paul, uh, God's love? Is it God's love that causes you not to live for yourself, but rather for the cause of Christ? Or is it something else? See, here's why this is so important. How you answer that question will determine the focus and direction of your life. And it will determine whether or not you are gonna invest your life for eternal things or waste your life on temporary things. It's your choice, but choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you didn't wait around for us to love you before you came to love us. Thank you that you are an initiating God. This is what love is, that you laid your life down for us. So Jesus, we are so thankful for that. And now overflowing from an awareness of that love, God, may we go into the world and be your ambassadors. God, forgive us for so often being tourists. You've called us to so much more than getting and consuming and taking. So God, transform us right here, right now. God, make us the church you long for us to be, messengers of the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.